be seated. Welcome to Woven. It's good to see all of you here for 2018, um, and it's good to be together Sunday after Sunday, just for a few hours every week, and hopefully in the future, more time together. Um, it's good to worship with you. It's good to worship together. Uh, just following up on the retreat, very excited about the retreat. Thank you for your stirring announcement and testimony, um, Paul. And uh, we have confirmed that our guest speaker for the retreat is going to be Pastor John Parks from Ashford uh, Community Church. And so, um, look, you can look forward to that. The retreat uh, is perfectly timed. Um, I don't think we realized this when we were planning for it, but the retreat starts right at the start of Lent. And so, whatever you decide to give up for the season of Lent, if you're going to do that thing... Perfect, you can start at the retreat. Or if you decide to get more exercise, then we can all exercise together at the retreat. If that's not your thing, don't worry, we're not going to push you into it, but I think the retreat will be a great chance for us to really begin to activate a lot of our New Year's resolutions. Speaking of New Year's resolutions, speaking of New Year's resolutions, we're starting a new series today. And this new series is called Hashtag Daniel Plan. It's based on the book of Daniel, where in the beginning you see uh, Daniel and uh, several other Jews are uh, in exile, and instead of defiling themselves with the food of the land, which for them it was important to keep themselves clean, they decided to just stick to their own diet of vegetables, and in the end they came out stronger, healthier, and smarter than all of the people, of uh, all, the, all of the other young men their age. And so the whole point of the Daniel plan is to get ourselves back on a health kick, get ourselves into a place where uh, maybe it might be a little bit extreme. I'm not going to call for everybody to just eat vegetables. Uh, but it is about this physical care of our body. And you see, there is a connection. I've always uh, preached and strongly believed that there's a a symbiotic connection between our bodies and our spirits. And so when we talk about our spiritual life, it is important for us also to care for our bodies. And so the Daniel plan is um, a great way for us to start thinking about how to care for our bodies better. Um, it's also a perfect series for New Year's resolutions. And it's also great um, because when you start, um, I guess, depriving yourself of certain things, when you start fasting, this is the groundwork for revival. And for me personally, I am seeking revival in 2018. Revival oftentimes we think of as something that is corporate, that's wildfire, that that's happens with a lot. But there is a, there is a thing called personal revival. And when people seek individual and personal revival, the result is community revival. And so... <clears throat> That's a good reason for us, I think, to start the Daniel plan right now, because as we seek revival individually and corporately, a good way to start and to, to hasten revival is through fasting, through the humblings that come with fasting, through finding our needs, and through prayer. So let's do this together. Let's do this together. Let me just describe the timeline about how this is going to work, this whole Daniel plan thing. Uh, starting today with the beginning, this is January, leading all the way up till Easter. Easter is April 1st. Yes, it's a April Fool's this year, surprisingly. Um, and so from now until Easter, January, February, March, we have three months. Half of that time, I'm going to do a lot of motivational preaching. Motivational preaching, because if you say uh, for the Daniel plan, my commitment is to... Uh, you know, is to run a little bit, uh, run, you know, a little bit more or, you know, talk about running this morning. I want to run, I want to get exercise or I want to lose weight or I want to improve my diet. It takes a little bit of psyching. It's like, okay, here we go. Here we go. And so the first half of this series, I'm going to do a lot of that psyching up talk. 
It's not going to be what you think, where it's just me kind of doing the motivational speaker kind of thing, you know, just getting you motivated. It's going to be talking about the mechanics of motivation. I'm going to be talking a lot about the theology of motivation, and I'm going to be preaching through Scripture that talks about what needs to happen for me to make a change in 2018. What is that change? Think now. Maybe in your yellow communication card, you might even write it down because accountability is one of the most effective things in producing change. So let's say your resolution is to cuss less in 2018. Think about that. Write it down. I won't judge you for it, but I'll hold you to it. And so as we, as we uh, talk about motivation, lo and behold, our retreat comes around right at the start of Lent. And I don't think we planned that on, I don't, so my recollection, we didn't plan that on purpose. That was quite accidental. And it goes to show that, yes, we do have numbers karma here at Woven. Perfect timing for us to start at our retreat, the season of Lent, and the season of fasting or making a change. So for the first half of this series, we're going to talk about the motivation. The second half, we're actually going to do it. We're going to do it, starting with the retreat, whatever your resolution is. And it will last throughout the season of Lent, or it can go even beyond that. For example, for me, one of my, one of my things that I'm thinking about are sweets. And I want to see if I can, for the season of Lent, give up things like ice cream and gummy worms and, um, you know, the unnecessary sweetness. Uh, we, were talking about, we were talking about sweets from different parts of the world in, in Asian culture, uh, sweet, uh, sh- snacks and cakes and things like that. They're very mild. They're very mild, especially from Japan. Very mild. Whereas when you come to America and you have this... Like, it's like pure sugar, and then you've, we've lost the notion of what sweetness is because we eat this. And, when, and this, I brought this today, and I pray to God that I won't eat it by the end of the service, but I brought it as a metaphor for sin. So whenever I talk about sin, because it tends to press deeply into our consciences, I'm going to hold up this Twinkie. But the point is, for me, I've always been like that. I'm not satisfied with you know, these Asian snacks, they're, they're not sweet enough for me. I need to be euphoric. I need to be high. What an indictment on our present state. I want this. My wife bought a box of these. I don't know why she did that. And the first thing I did was eat it. <clears throat> so we're going to make a change once again from now until uh, February, February 14th to be precise, motivation theological motivation, biblical motivation, and then from (coughs) February well up to Easter for the season of Lent, we're actually going to do it. And I don't know, maybe at the retreat we'll kick it off, we'll have like a, a, you know that TV show, The Biggest Loser? Like maybe we'll do something fun like that. We don't, we haven't come up with a theme yet. If you have any ideas, let me know. And um, I don't know, maybe if we all meet our goals, like, you know, eating this many fewer calories or uh, you know, running a few extra miles or, or cussing less or whatever your goal is. If everybody meets their goal, I, I don't know, maybe like I'll shave my, my legs or something like that or something <laughs> weird. Whatever you decide, let me know and we'll do that. It's kind of gross, right? It's like, oh, gross image. So on that note, this is not something you can do alone. You're going to have to keep accountable. You're going to say, if I want to make a change, you're going to have to indicate that change on your yellow communication card. We're going to have to talk about it in our, in our groups together. So we'll do this together. Um, today, to start off this series, I want to talk about how we can make a change, how to make a change, how to make a change, and how this happens, how this change process happens internally. And I want to talk about the four processes in internal change, the mechanics. Four processes in internal change. I don't consider myself the foremost expert on internal change, but I do consider myself as somebody that has thought very deeply about this in my own life. I've thought about it deeply in my studies through theology. And so... These four processes in internal change that I'm going to talk about today, they come from a little bit of 
self-reflection. They come from some study of psychology. But I'm not here to teach just psychology. They come from theology. But I'm not just here to teach theology. They come from Scripture, from Scripture. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk through, the, uh, through Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 to 27. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27, if you can pull that up, or if you look in your bulletin, it says this, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my statutes." This is what I want to focus on today. When we talk about change, for me, this is a very moving passage about internal change, internal motivation, how to make a change. And as I make my way through today's sermon, I'm going to talk through four headings. You see this in your notes. If you can look in your bulletin, you'll see the three hole punches. In there, there are four stages. Four stages. What did I write? Does it just say four stages? Four, four process, internal change, and then stage one, stage two. It sounds like cancer. Um, but four stages in how we process change. And to start off with this first stage, I want to, cause, I want to bring you back to verse 27. Verse 27 is a disturbing verse for some people. God is saying here, to us, I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I will cause you to obey my law. I will cause you to keep my rules. Now, if your first gut reaction to that is negative, you are normal. I am disturbed by these words. My children have started doing something, uh, I think they picked it up from school, and they did it all Christmas break, and at one point, I, I literally snapped on them. And what, they're, what they've learned to do, I'm, you might want to cover little, little, little ears, um, but what they've learned to do is say, make me. And they, they picked that up from school, and they, they, they would do that with each other. Uh, you know, like, I'm going to punch you, or you better do what I want you to do. And it's always like, make me. Or it's always like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, you better do that. And Austin says, make me. And I, I don't recall perfectly, but I think at one point, in, as, a, as a passing joke, they said it to me. And that's when I, I went all Korean dad on them. And I had to climb into the back seat, and I said, what? <laughs> and here's the thing about that phrase, make me. It's a defiant challenge that inherently says, you can't change me. I won't change. I won't change. I refuse to change. And when we read words like God saying, I will cause you to walk in my statutes, almost in defiance, you want to say to God, well, make me. Make me change. The last thing I want to do is change. I, don't, I refuse to change, and that defiance is there. In fact, when you look at this Hebrew word, cause you, I will cause you to change, literally it translates, I will make you do the right thing. I will make you walk in my laws. I will make you. And what's disturbing about that is we have this idea that I, you can't make me do anything. I have a free will. I don't like the idea of being made to do something. But the truth is, nobody can make you do anything. God can't make you do anything. Even though he says it here, I believe God cannot make you do anything if you don't want to change. If there is no willing participation in change, God cannot make you do what you do not want to do. Why? Why can God not make us do what we want to do? Well, the answer, I believe, is because we are creatures of desire. We are driven by desire. And if our strongest desire is to eat Twinkies, 
then you're going to eat a Twinkie. Nobody is going to make you do otherwise. It's interesting, in the New Testament, Jesus talks about the unforgivable sin, the unpardonable sin. We think that that sin is saying the, most un, the, the worst thing you can ever say to God. You know what the unforgivable sin is? I believe the unforgivable sin, especially when you read it in the larger context of the gospel, it's, it's rejection. When the Pharisees refused to hear the gospel and essentially said, we don't want to hear your words. We don't want to do things your way, Jesus. Make me. Well, if you're unwilling, if you're an unwilling participant, what happens is God can't change you. Your sister can't change you. Your brother can't change you. Your parents can't change you. Your boss can't change you. Your wife can't change you. Your husband can't change you. No one can change you. Not even you yourself can change you. And so what we're talking about essentially is this foundational idea that our will, our desires are broken. They drive us. They rule us. This is a conversation that goes back 500 years ago. A conversation that happened between a Catholic scholar named Erasmus and a Protestant scholar named Luther. Erasmus writes a document called On Free Will. And he says, we have free will to choose whatever we want. We can choose to follow God. We can choose to be Christians. And Martin Luther wrote a document in response to On Free Will. He wrote, on the bondage of the will. And Luther's response was to say, you think you have a choice. That's the problem. You think that you're free to go to church. You think you're free to choose the good. You think you're free. You're a free agent that has a free will. You can do. Nobody can control you. But the problem is, even your will, you can't even choose the good that you want. We have very impaired Volitions. Our will is broken. Our will is under this thing called bondage. And whether you believe that or not, I will test it right now as I eat this. No, I don't want to eat the Twinkie. The point being, if I bit into this scrumptious Twinkie, your mouths start to salivate, and the first thing you want is a Twinkie. Now, that's silly. You say, I don't want a Twinkie, but what if I knew what the Twinkie inside your heart was? And I learned to push that button. And I flashed it in front of the screen of your eyes, and you said, actually, that's ex you feel the endorphins in your chest rise, and you, that's exactly what I want right now. Oh, I really could use that. I really could use that, that, that cocktail, or I really could use that hit, or I could really use whatever it is that my desire wants right now. Friends, I don't know if you resonate with this experience where sometimes, like me, you do what you don't want to do. Now, here's the thing. If you're not a Christian, and if you have no interest in Christian or no interest in, in, uh, in new life, then you're going to say, why should I change? What does it matter if I eat whatever I want to eat, watch whatever I want to watch? What does it matter if I live however I want to live? Because there is no awakened conscience, basically you, your will follows exactly what you want. But as Christians, we experience this thing called frustration. Frustration, and that's the first stage, frustration. What is frustration? Frustration is basically when you say, I don't want to do what I do, and what I do is what I don't want to do. That's the words of Paul straight out of Romans 7. And the experience of frustration, it's different from this person over here who doesn't care about new life, who doesn't care about religious things because this person, this person has no frustration because they, they basically go exactly where they want. And that's the difference. 
The difference between this person and this person, the person who is a Christian and the person who's not a Christian, first of all, both sin. Both sin. But the difference is the person over here goes along sin as a willing participant. Goes along with sin as a willing participant. The person over here does not so much go along with sin as a willing participant as much as a slave dragged into it. That's what a Christian is. Yes, somebody who's not perfect, somebody who still sins, but unwillingly goes along with it, who unwillingly is dragged into as a slave. That is the essence of frustration. The essence of frustration is going along unwillingly, dragged into behaviors and things as a slave, conflicting desires within us. Now, here's the thing about frustration. As you reflect, think about your own frustration. The thing about frustration is this. It's actually a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing from a psychological perspective. I'll start there. Psychologists call this uh, ambivalent talk. That's what it's called. Psychologists call this ambivalence, ambivalent talk. And so you're sitting on my couch. You're saying, you know, I, I know I really should not eat Twinkies. And the psychologist says, you don't feel good about eating Twinkies. And you say, yeah, I know I shouldn't eat them, but I, I can't help it. Right now, I'm not really motivated to stop eating Twinkies, so I just want to continue to eat them. And it's making me sick. It's, it's, it's killing my liver. <laughs> it's going through my system. It's causing all kinds of... So I really should stop eating Twinkies. And the good psychologist echoes back, you don't feel good about eating Twinkies, do you? And you say, yeah, but I, I don't really want to stop. And so you, this frustration, this is what's called ambivalent talk. What's good about frustration is psychologists actually say this is good. This first step is good. Why? It's good because at least you're sitting in the chair. A person who doesn't care about change wouldn't even be there in the first place. Theologians, biblical scholars can recognize that frustration is a good thing. Why? Because you can hear Paul saying the same exact thing. What Paul says in Romans chapter 7, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do, and when I do it, I don't feel good about it, and I don't want to do it, and I feel that I do, and I do, and I don't want to do, and I would do, and then in the end, he says, what a wretched person that I am. And you hear the frustration there. So if you're in this place where I struggle with what I do, I struggle with the way I eat, or I live, or I watch, or I act out, and you struggle with those things, you're in good company because at least you're struggling. If there's no, ap- if there's no struggle, there's basically just apathy. And the, who doesn't struggle? The person who doesn't struggle is the person over here who doesn't have new desires. The person over here who doesn't care about change, who just wants to keep going, their own life. If you are frustrated, frustrated with your behavior, if you're struggling, at least you are in the right starting place. Now, I know this is going long, and I can tell already that I'm probably not going to get past stage two today, and I think that's good because there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of important stuff here. So, maybe we'll just stop after stage two. But stage one is frustration, so, I mean, do you, does, um, do you resonate? Do you, does this, is this something that has been your experience? I'm, I'm really frustrated. I'm frustrated with myself. The change that I want, I can't seem to change. Well, that's good. It's okay. You're in the right place. At least you're here listening to the Word of God. That's why... God says in verse 28, I'm sorry, in verse 27, I will cause you to walk in my statutes. Because the person who says, I can't change myself, I can't even make, make myself do what I want to do. 
And when God says in verse 27, I will cause you, essentially what we're saying is I need that extra little bit of oomph. I need that clicking motivation to help me push through to do the right. It's the admission that I cannot change by myself. And if I cannot change by myself, I willingly need to turn over my will to somebody greater than myself. I willingly need to surrender my will to God who can cause me. And here's the funny thing. You think that it, turning over your will to somebody else, to God, to a higher power, somebody bigger than yourself, you think that if you turn your life over to God, if you turn your life over to Jesus, your life is really going to stink. I wanted to say another word, but I'll keep this. Your life is really, if I give my life to God, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to have to go to church. If I give my life over to God, what's going to happen? I have to behave. If I give my life, it's like being a slave. If I give my life to God, if I turn over my will to God, he's going to make me not eat chocolate anymore. He's going to make me not watch TV anymore. He's going to make me just be good. He's going to make me change my clothes. He's going to make me exercise. He's going to make me, he's going to take away all the Twinkies. It's going to feel like slavery. And the reason many people don't want to have anything to do with God or, or, or the church or a higher power is because, pardon me, is because I don't want to be a slave. But friends, if I can just beg with you, beg you, um, I plead with you, if I can just communicate deeply, when you give your life over to God, the experience is not one of slavery, but one of an incredible freedom. What you experience when you say, okay, I give up, it's yours, my life, my plans, everything, I'm just clay on your wheel. When you do that, you experience a freedom that you've never known. This is pure experiential theology, friends. It's been my experience when I've said I'm giving up that last bastion, that last thing that I'm holding on to, and I give it up to God. Are you fighting a sin or a behavior? There are things you need to give up to God. Man, I really have a problem. I'm addicted to my smartphone. Well, maybe God is asking you, can you just turn, trade it in for a flip phone? Is that such a big deal? No, I don't want it. That would be slavery. But experience the freedom. Well, I'm addicted to Twinkies. Well, then, you know, how about we just not go to the supermarket and down, down the snack aisle anymore? Well, I have a choice. Well, actually, you really don't. Because every time you walk down the snack aisle, the first thing you do is you reach for those Twinkies. Apparently, you don't have a free will. You turn over your will to God. What happens? You discover that you're more free than you ever were. Friends, I am not preaching here doctrine or dogma. I'm preaching here personal experience. You find out that you're more free. You are more free. When I pray these days and I get on my knees, I have this refreshing feeling that's different from 20 years ago when I first started following Jesus. When I first started following Jesus, I was filled with frustration. I was in stage one saying, I want to give you my life, but there are areas that I don't want to give up. I'm still struggling with conflicting desires. That's why frustration is a good thing because there's at least there's conflicting desires. But today, 20 years of constantly giving my life up to God, okay, clay on your wheel, clay on your wheel, clay on your wheel. I'm a lot more free than I was 20 years ago, so much more free. I can pray on my knees without guilt hanging over my head or without knowing that these behaviors are still going to continue. I can pray much more free. Now, so you're asking, okay, how do I get to that place where I get more free? How do I, how exactly is God going to cause me to change? How is God going to cause me to change? Is he going to spank me? No, no, no. Is God going to lecture me? No. Are you ready to change? 
Are you really ready for a change in 2018? How about I put on my best motivational speaker pants and say, are you ready for a change in 2018? If you are, then the way it comes is stage two, infilling. Quite simply, verse 27, I will put my Holy Spirit within you. I'm going to put my spirit within you and cause you to want what you want. The big, the big thing, the, the, the missing element that changes everything is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. This is how it works. You want to change, but you can't seem to bring yourself to change because honestly, this yellow Twinkie looks really good and I want to, but something within me needs to cause me to put it down. What will cause me to put it, what will change my mind? It is the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what Ezekiel is talking about here in verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. So the spirit is what is needed. The infilling of the spirit. Now the question is, okay, I want to change in 2018. How do I get the spirit? How do I get more of the spirit? Do I need to have an ecstatic experience? Do I need to go to revivals? Do I need to go to conferences about deeper life? I mean, all of these things are helpful. They're all, they are all helpful. But I'd like, to prepare, I'd like to present to you a roadmap, five steps in how the Spirit comes into our lives. And the Spirit will come. And I'll wrap up with this. We won't be able to get onto stage three or four today because there's a lot to talk about here. Really, what we're talking about, before we get into all the Daniel Fast stuff, is we're talking about the mechanics, the mechanics of our psychology, the mechanics of our mind. And friends, these five steps about how the Spirit comes and fills us, it doesn't come from a psychology book. It comes from biblical teaching. Specifically, uh, I'm, I'm referring to teachings that I've heard in person from uh, J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer was my professor of theology when I studied at Regent College. Still alive. He's one of the leading professors of Reformed theology. And he laid out these, these steps. And um, I've, I've customized them a little bit. But I think this really gets at the heart issue. This gets at the heart. Friends, what we're talking about here, you know, Packer studied the old English Puritans. You know, we're talking about the great awakenings that happened in America and in England there is a science to how the Spirit comes. Five steps in how the Spirit comes. The first step is preparatory humbling. The first step in how the Spirit fills us is preparatory humbling. Your circumstances, your rock bottom experiences, you've got nowhere else to go, no defenses left, the weeds have taken over your life. And you're saying, this really stinks. Well, mow your own lawn. Well, I don't want to. Everything's just, and all these things are happening. Here's the thing. Are you experiencing, per, are you experiencing humbling in your life? Use it. Use it. Preparatory humbling has a purpose. When we find that we're not, we're not succeeding the way that we want to, when we find that work is not going the way we'd like, when we find that there are so many things that are discouraging or difficult, use it. Use it. Preparatory humbling is not meant to go meaningless. It's just these bad things are happening in my life. Why are these bad things happening in my life? I don't know. There's no purpose. Maybe there is no God. And then you go to the other extreme. Bad things are happening in my life. God, it's all your fault. That doesn't help either. If there are things that happen in our lives, use it. Use it as clay on his wheel. You are clay on his wheel. It hurts. It really stinks. The circumstances are not good. In your life, the bad things happen. Why? As they humble us, they prepare us to be more gentle, more open, ready for the arrival of the Spirit in your life. 
Preparatory humbling serves the purpose of driving out sin, opening up hardened hearts, and preparing us to receive the Holy Spirit. And that leads to the second step. The gospel truth penetrates. The gospel truth penetrates. I liked the horticulture analogy that Paul made this morning about weeds. I'm going to expand on that because I had that same inspiration. You know, um, actually, you're right. A lot of the plants in my yard are dead. They're not actually. Just the branches are dead. But there's one plant that I've spent years and years trying to grow. Not just to grow, but to blossom. And it is the elusive bougainvillea bush. And if any of you have ever tried to grow a bougainvillea, it gives you two options. Number one, it gives you plenty of vines and thorns. And what's interesting about this is the more you feed, the more you fertilize, the more you water a bougainvillea bush, it actually gives you more thorns. It becomes more resistant. In other words, if, if more, in other words, if good things are happening in your life and you're just getting watered and you're just getting fed, just good things, good things, good things, potentially what can happen is we get uh, resistant. Thorns develop. But here's the secret about bougainvilleas that I learned. If you withhold water and you let them languish in the sun a little bit, if you let them suffer just a little bit from cold or from drought, the thorns crack open these blossoms, beautiful blossoms that can cover the entire bush. And so you're actually supposed to treat bougainvillea as a little lean and mean so that they crack open and they open up. And do you know why, scientifically, why they blossom when that happens? Because they think they're dying. Bougainvilleas think they're dying. The water's not coming. The nourishment is not coming. It's time to propagate myself. And so they open up their blossoms in order for the birds and the bees to come and to take and basically spread the bougainvillea bush. And that's how you get the blossoms. Friends, this is exactly how it works spiritually. You have sufferings. You have humblings. Use it. Why? Because God's purpose in the humblings is to get you to stop producing those resistant thorns. Don't come near me. Don't touch me. You get too close, I poke you. Why? Because I don't want you getting close to me. And God says, okay, you need to be treated a little lean and mean because you're so passive-aggressive. You're so resistant to change. You're pushing anybody that can touch your heart away. And I'm going to deprive you a little bit. You're going to be humbled a little bit. But in the process of humbling, you begin to open up. The thorns become blossoms. And as they become blossoms, Finally, the gospel can penetrate. You're exposed. You open yourself up to exposure. The thorns become blossoms, and the gospel truth can penetrate. When I was 20 years old, I was so against God in many regards. I was not living a life in tune with Him. My life produced thorns left and right. But then as I began to experience this humbling, in the form of depression, in the form of adversity in my life, a lot of adversity. I remember I was at this Deeper Life conference, so maybe we need to go to Deeper Life. Maybe we need to go to retreats because it happens at retreats. And it was at this retreat, there were 1,000, 2,000 college students. I was a college student. I was alone, and I recognized none of the girls were looking at me. They were all chasing the letter, the letter jacket jocks. And I realized I wasn't up front leading worship. I wasn't the guy with the guitar. So there was nothing about me that appealed. I was alone and in a corner. And for the first time in my life, in the midst of all of that terrible adversity, my thorns began to open up. And for the first time in my life, I heard the gospel. Well, that's not true. I grew up in the church. Great people taught me the gospel. But I could not receive it. Why? 
because I was resistant, because I was only producing thorns, because I had too much easiness in my life. So I want, my wife likes to tell me, you need to suffer a little bit now because you didn't suffer enough growing up. Growing up. Plenty, plentiful supply of water. Go to my house. I'll prove it to you. I'll show you. I have a bougainvillea bush that I planted right next to a sprinkler. That thing grows only vines, leaves, and thorns. But in my life at that time, as, as, as I found that I was in adversity, my thorns began to open up. The gospel truth for the first time was able to penetrate into the blossoms. And I said, I get it. And it's not enough for me to change in these five days that I'm at this retreat. It needs to be a change for the good. Okay, and that leads to the third stage. The third stage, I know, I'm sorry this is taking long, but we are almost done. I, I didn't even get to stage three and four, to stage three and four. The third step in this experience of infilling is belief and repentance. Believe and repent. Believe and repent. Well, Pastor Wayne, isn't that backwards? Isn't it repent and believe? Isn't that how it's supposed to go? That's colloquial. It's backwards. You cannot repent if you don't believe. As your blossom opens up and the gospel truth penetrates, you experience belief, conviction, and you say, holy smokes, I need to change. This is where change happens. When the gospel truth penetrates because the thorns have finally, through adversity and purposeful and preparatory humbling, have opened up and the gospel begins to uh, penetrate, finally, we are in a position where we are confronted naked in the garden with God saying, where are you? You're back in the garden. You're naked. All of the clothes or all of the accolades or all of the armor that you put on are stripped away. And you're saying, God, God's saying to you, where are you? And you realize standing before him, that you have nowhere left to go. The only option is to make a change. This is repentance. The only option is to stop. Friends, the only option is to get rid of the Twinkie, right? That was in a movie I saw recently. I'm not going to spoil it. Get rid of the... The only option... If the phone is a problem, the only option is to get a flip phone. The only option is to install covenant eyes. The only option is to go on a diet. The only option is to get an accountability person. The only option is to make a real change inspired by conviction that comes from the gospel. Believe and repent. The fourth step in this process of the Spirit filling us is changed attitudes and desires. Changed attitudes and desires. How does God cause us to keep repenting? How does God make repentance stick? Because here's the thing about retreats. You experience change for five days or three days, however long it is. But after that, we all backslide, right? But here's the thing. After summer camp, or after chick, or after our spring retreat, we experience a change, but the Holy Spirit says the change has to continue. How does the change continue? It's through this process of swapping desires. So you cannot eat Twinkies anymore. You're going to have to trade it out for a greater desire. That's how it works. Desires eclipsing desires. Just like we had an eclipse, I think this past summer, the, the eclipse, what, how does it work? The moon moves right in front of the sun. Something greater has to, has to eclipse your greatest desire. My greatest desire is for Twinkies. My greatest desire, there has to be a greater desire. God starts putting even greater desires that eclipse these strong desires, these already strong desires. So the fourth step in the filling of the Spirit is this process of God giving us 
bigger desires. One of the evidences of greater desires, I believe, is a hunger for spiritual reading. That you walk away and you say, I want to retain this revival that I'm experiencing within me. But the only way you can retain it is by still constantly feeding yourself a greater desire. The last step, the last step in this second stage of the Holy Spirit filling us is sanctifying proofs. Sanctifying proofs. Everything from stage one, to, everything from step one to four, none of it is real unless others can recognize it. Others will be the one to say, you, you, you're, you're nice, you're different, you've changed. Others will recognize it. And that's the fifth step. Can I say one last thing and close with this? I know this is getting long. The last thing I want to say is it's possible to get stuck here between steps one to three. It's possible to experience preparatory humbling constantly in your life. Why, God? It's possible to constantly experience preparatory humbling. And actually, it's possible for your heart to open up and for the gospel truth to penetrate. And it's possible to believe, but it's also possible to not make the change. And if you're not making the change, what's going to happen? What do you think happens, friends? Let's all think as theologians would. What happens? We go back to step one. It's possible to repeat this stillborn cycle over and over and over again. We go back to one, more preparatory humbling. Why? Why more preparatory humbling? So that number two, the gospel truth can penetrate. So that number three, we can believe and repent, but we're not repenting. We're not making the change. We're not throwing out the Twinkies. So what happens? We have to go back to step one, more preparatory humbling. That's the essence of insanity, isn't it? It's two by four right there. <laughs> Dope. Oh, okay. I have to be humbled. I don't want to be humbled. Dope. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Then again, walking. I don't want to. Dope. And it goes on over and over and over again. When will we learn to humble ourselves, to use the humbling, to stoop a little bit lower, and to repent? And close our eyes and conclude with that. Next week, we'll hit up stage three and stage four. There is more. But the science and the mechanics of how this works, again, friends, I've thought a lot of, a lot of it. I've, I've read you are the you only you can experience it by choosing to make the choice to either use it to expose yourself more to the gospel whether it's through biblical preaching through committing to reading the bible this year to listening to podcasts to participating in bible studies and in the end change you can change in 2018. You can. But what needs to change in order for you to change? What needs to be repented of? Only then, only then will the revival that we seek come. And so I'd like to invite you at this time to just respond a little bit in prayer. If you are frustrated, then just talk out to God and say, God, this, I don't want to change. I'm struggling with this message. I don't want this. Well, at least, at least you're frustrated. At least you're not apathetic. Or if you feel that your heart finally is beginning to blossom and you're ready to repent, then ask him, God, what do I need to do to make a real change today? What really needs to be weeded out Weed it out, weed it out. What a good metaphor. And so, as the music plays in the background, I want to invite you to just quietly or as you feel led to just speak out your prayer to yourself and to God. Let's pray.
So, Lord, in 2018, give us the desire. Fix our broken wills that don't belong to us anymore. We've given our wills over constantly to things that have hurt us. Lord, Holy Spirit, come and give us our freedom back. Give us back our freedom. Give us back our freedom that we lost long ago. To whatever it was, to the different activities, to the different substances, to the behaviors. Give us our freedom back. And we pray in the emptiness, give us new pleasures, new desires. Help us to discover the real sweetness of life. And Lord, all of my thorns and my prickly nature, Lord, Turn those into blossoms that are ready to receive gospel truth. Move us, Lord. May the affections follow suit. May the affections come, not leading our will and our mind, but may our minds perceive the gospel so that affections and passion can be the result. So come in a mighty way, we pray, in 2018. Help each individual here experience the change that they seek. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org That's www.wovenchurch.org